All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Glad that you're here. I cannot tell you how excited I am to deliver this message. Literally, I can't tell you. I've been told, stop saying how excited you are. So I can't, I can't tell you. I can't tell you about that. Hey, I wanted to uh, just double up on, uh, on Pastor Gabe telling about the membership meeting. The ministry fair is incredibly important. But before we even get to that step... The membership meeting, Tuesday night, is something that is, I think it's more important than a lot of people understand. Some people think, hey, it's just, it's just a matter of a formality saying, hey, yeah, I'm a member. Some churches, their membership, if you've been to one of these churches before, will put a guest book by the front door. And if you sign that guest book because you're just a visitor, then they count you as a member. <laughs> so they, there'll be a church of 30 people and they count, you know, 2,000 members. And then some count, you know, they have a very strict process that you have to go through. We're kind of somewhere in between, but it means more than just, than just saying, hey, I'm a member. We believe that being a member means that you have made the decision, I'm going to engage with this body. I like their vision, I like their mission, I'm on board, and I want to be a part of the body of Christ at this church. It's much, much more than just saying, oh yeah, I'm a member at that church. It's not like that. It's not like Costco where you're going to get a card or anything like that, okay? Although we could issue cards, but the point is, the point is it's a heart decision. It's a heart decision that I ha- I'm going to engage here. I'm going to support this church. I'm going to support its members. As the Bible says that, that our job as we gather together in a body is to lift up and support and encourage one another as the body of Christ, and that's what being a member means. So I want you to give very careful consideration to joining us, and I would love to have you join us on Tuesday night. We'll cast a little bit more vision mission. We'll recap where we've been uh, and where we're going, tell you some coffee bar, construction updates, different things like that, and, and I think it will be well worth your time. So please, I would love to have you join us for that. So, okay, let's get into the message. Before I do, just one quick shout out to Pastor Eric for teaching last weekend. Thank you, Pastor Eric. It is wonderful to get to, to watch our pastors. In some cases, that's the first time that Eric had taught to get a chance to exercise that gift and to, to try and grow in that. And, and it's exciting. And we're going to be doing more of that as we go. We've got some more teaching schedule we're going to be putting together. So you'll get to see more teachers other than just me. Speaking of which, next weekend, my lovely wife, Pastor Gabe, gets to teach on... She is the poster child for anxiety. And so <laughs> next weekend... She gets to teach on do not worry, which, which is exciting. So anyway, again, thank you for, for uh, filling in, Pastor Eric. We've been teaching through uh, Sermon on the Mount. And as you know, the last few weeks, we've talked about uh, spiritual disciplines. So we've talked about giving. Okay, and We know that Jesus says, when you give. So it's a discipline. It's something that's just expected that as a Christian you do. When you give, then when you pray. And then when you fast. So giving, praying, fasting. At this point, Jesus is, is just flat making that assumption that if, you're, if you are a follower of Christ, these are things that you do. We just naturally do that. But then he can kind of follow his train of thought as he's teaching this. Okay, so he's just gotten done on the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's preaching this wonderful message. And you can hear him working, you can kind of hear him working through, and he gets to this point, he says, okay, I've just told you about these disciplines, but there are some things that can trip you up in these disciplines. 
Anytime we go to be disciplined about something, whether it's dieting or whatever it is, you know immediately before you even start, there starts to be obstacles, things that are trying to trip you up. And so as we go into this section, the next few weeks, Jesus is actually teaching us about things that commonly trip us up, just everyday stuff that we deal with all the time. So today we're going to talk about love of money. Next week we talk about worry. And then the following week, the subject is judgment. So love of money, worry, judgment, common things that we all struggle with every day, but that can truly derail us from what I think Jesus has for us, from that abundant life that he wants us to live in. So I think in the middle of his sermon, he kind of takes a pause to say, okay, now here's all these things that we should be doing. This is where your heart should be. Here's where we should be going. But now be careful because here's some things that can trip you up. And so that's what we're going to teach about today. This week, again, it's, it's in Matthew 6, 19 to 24. It's the love of money. That's how it's commonly titled. Um, a subtitle that you hear a lot of time, and Pastor Gabe used it, is Treasures in Heaven. You hear the subject treasures in heaven all the time. And a lot of us, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably heard that term. Okay, we throw out the term treasures in heaven a lot of times like it's candy. You know, somebody's like, oh, I'm out here, I'm mopping the floors. Well, treasures in heaven, bro. Treasures in heaven. Why don't you stay after service and help me stack chairs and vacuum the sanctuary? Treasures in heaven. I'm not, which what that means is I'm not going to actually give you anything for it, but you have treasures in heaven. Okay. How many would show up at a job if they said, oh, there's no check, but treasures in heaven. You laugh, but when we ask for volunteers, for ministry volunteers here, that's what we're asking for. And that's the reason why we say treasures in heaven. So serving at a church, serving at a homeless shelter, different things like that, there's no payment. We don't get paid for that. But we do get treasures in heaven, and you hear that term a lot. But what I'm going to talk about today is why we should care, why that's important, and really what that means. So let's jump into our scripture today, Matthew 6, 19 to 24. I'm going to read the whole thing through. <coughs> if I can, got some throat issues today. All right, do not store, this is Jesus speaking, remember, Jesus teaching, Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So many of us have heard that, have heard at least pieces of that scripture, right? Maybe not all together in one, but we've heard pieces of that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that apart, and I'm going to, in this case... I'm going to work this one in reverse. We're going to start out with that last one. So we're going to, now remember, Jesus taught us about how prayer and fasting and giving would actually help us draw closer in relationship with God. And this week, he's going even further. This week, 
He's telling us how this week, this was a long time ago, this week I'm teaching, yeah, Jesus just said this, we just had this conversation, I thought, you ought to write this down, this is good stuff, people would love this. In this message this week, in this section of scripture, Jesus is teaching us how God is not content to be just a part of our lives. He's not content just to be something that we add in when we feel like it or when we've got nothing else to do. He's going and very specifically saying, Father God wants to be your everything. He wants to be your all in all. He wants to be your provider not only from your very existence, but to the breath in your lungs and everything that you have. He is your source and he is your provider and he's not content to being relegated to anything less than that. So as we go into this section, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So the word hate there. It's easy for us to read this scripture, at least it was for me, to read this scripture and go, well, I can, I can serve one master and still like the other, and I don't have to hate the other master. I can, I can serve two and kind of juggle that. Of course, one's higher than the other, but I can still do that. Until I started really looking at what that word hate is. Hate, in this case, where it says hate the one and love the other and despise, that just means to disregard. doesn't mean to actively have animosity and hatred towards, but it just simply in its most basic form means to disregard and not have the esteem for something that you should, not give it the attention that you should. And that's what that means, or to treat as insignificant. But so let me ask you, when you start thinking about what is significant to you? What's significant in your life? How about food? Has anybody gone a day or two or three or four without food? Most of us or many of us probably have for at least some length of time. Some people even further, as Pastor Eric taught about fasting last week. We've done that, and I've done that. But every time I've done it, and I'm guessing many of you, any time that you've fasted or gone without food for any length of time, you spend a lot of time thinking about when you are going to get food, <laughs> right? I'm fasting. I'm fasting for three days or whatever your fast is, but you've got that marked on your calendar, and you're like, okay, at this point, and towards the end of it, you start thinking, okay, am I going to break my fast with pizza? Am I going to break it with hamburgers? What am I going to break my fast with? Okay, so we're fasting that thing but it's still on our mind. Why? Because it's significant to us. What about television? How many people have gone a day? Now, excluding when you're on a camping trip or you're in Bora Bora on an island and you, there is no TV, when you had access to television, how many people have gone a day or more without television? Okay, a few, a few. Three or four days a week, maybe. And there's a small segment of people who like, that's just not my thing. And I've gone a few days without television, but I've always been thinking, okay, as soon as I get back, thank goodness for Netflix, because I'm going to catch up on my, I can walk away from television, I can do without it for, it doesn't have any hold on me, I'll just catch it on Netflix when I get back anyway. Okay, that's not, that's not the same thing. Why? Because 
That, that level of entertainment or connection or whatever you get from that is significant to you. Let me go further. What about a cell phone? How many? No problem. I have one here who says no problem. Props to you. And because me, I've gone without a cell phone when I was in Nepal recently. We had to turn our cell phones in when we got into Kathmandu. Didn't get it back for seven days. Didn't even have it with me. So I'm like, hey, no cell phone. I'm disconnected from social media. I'm disconnected from all this stuff. Meanwhile, in my head, I'm doing the mental countdown of when I get my phone back. When I got my phone back, what's the first thing I did? Scroll down. I wonder where the Wests are on vacation. Okay. I'm immediately reconnecting and checking it. Why? Because it's significant to me. It matters. Then we go further, talk about, when's the last time you did without air for any length of time? Okay. You can hold your breath for a whole minute, maybe two minutes, three minutes if you're, if you're really good at it, but you're thinking about it the whole time because it's significant to you. That's what significance is. And that's what God wants to be in our lives. He wants to be our all in all to where we cannot, literally cannot stop thinking about spending time with him. And anything that gets in the way of that is an obstacle. Anything that gets in the way of that is a hindrance to our true, deep relationship with God. And that's where Jesus is going in this, when he talks about this. Now, the last part of that scripture, you cannot serve God and wealth. That word wealth, it doesn't mean that having things is bad. It doesn't even mean that having a lot of money or, or being what we would call rich in this country how many of you know that in this country, you're all rich, okay? You go to 99% of the rest of the world, and you're rich. No matter where you think you are financially here, you're rich. But what that means, what that word translates to is mammon. How many of you have heard the word mammon? Okay, a few. Now, of those who have heard the word mammon, how many of you really have an understanding of what mammon is? Okay, I have a vague recollection that mammon is something that's bad. It's, I, I know it's something I'm not supposed to think about, but what really is it? So in this case, that word wealth, you cannot serve God and, that word wealth translates as mammon, and what mammon is, is a demon. Mammon is a demon, going all the way back, depending on how you research it, going all the way back to pre-Canaanite times, where it was a pagan idol, a pagan god, a demon named Mammon. And what Mammon at that point stood for was pretty much anything that you, that you put your trust in, anything that you relied on, anything that you gave confidence to or gave the power to protect you or to care for you was Mammon. Now let me show you a picture of what Mammon looks like. See that? This is actually an image. Now, I don't know really what mammon looks like. My guess is it's something like that. But this image is from the popular game Dungeons and Dragons. Don't raise your hand if you're a Dungeons and Dragons fan and you go like, yeah, I know that. He's actually a character in that game. Talk about the things that can creep into our lives and we don't see as a big deal. Okay? That, to me, looks like a big deal. But mammon, you can take that down. Yeah, I don't want that behind me. 
Mammon actually became a much bigger thing. Now, again, he'd been worshipped in some circles, pagan circles mostly, for, for centuries. In the Middle Ages, he really became prominent. A little history lesson, the reason he became more prominent then, and probably the reason that we've heard of him today, is in the Middle Ages, the feudal lords of the lords of all these kingdoms and the bishops of these areas got together and essentially colluded, okay, to really emphasize mammon as a demon and as a negative thing. The reason they did this is because they wanted all the serfs in their kingdom to be happy being poor. I don't want wealth. Wealth comes your way. Better watch out. Mammon's going to get you. I'm going to give my wealth to the church. I'm going to give my wealth to the Lord's. And I'm not going to worry about walking around in rags and being a pauper while the rich people are up there. I actually feel sorry for the people living in the castle because mammon's going to get them. Me and my family, we're living in in dirt. Mammon's not going to get us. So they did everything they could to propagate that image of mammon being everywhere. And, oh, look out for mammon. But I want to tell you that mammon can actually manifest itself in different ways. Some would call it a partner demon. Some of it just just different aspects of the same demon. How about the spirit of poverty? That very spirit of poverty that will tell you, hey, if I just get rid of all my stuff, I don't have to worry about this. Give everything I have to the poor and just live in poverty, well, that can be a spirit sometimes too. That can be a spirit where we're now all of a sudden ashamed of the provision that God has given us. Okay, remember how I said there are people in this room who may not think that they're rich or that they're wealthy in many ways, but compared to the rest of the world, you are. But I know there are people in this room, me included, who say, I'm kind of embarrassed about the car I drive. Like right now, I'm driving Gabe's car because I'm in the middle of painting it, and I've half-stripped the hood off, and it kind of looks like a car's got leprosy. So (laughs) I'm not, I won't let her drive the car. I'm driving it myself. But meanwhile, I'm like, I hope nobody sees me. (laughs) Meanwhile, people in the rest of the world would just be ecstatic to have a car, period. But it's that spirit of poverty that makes you want to think that what God has provided to you somehow isn't good enough or isn't enough, and we should be embarrassed about that. Maybe the house you live in doesn't look like your best friend's house. And that spirit of poverty starts creeping in to say, hey, be embarrassed about the provision that God has given you. That's a spirit, and that does not belong in your heart because God is the one that provided that for you. Same thing, partner spirit of pride. That spirit of pride that says, I worked hard for this. I invented something, or I am exceptionally good at what I do, and that's how I have all this provision. That's how I can have this big house. That's a spirit of pride, and that partners with that spirit of mammon to help keep you focused on something other than where your true provision comes from, because our provision comes from the Lord. Make no mistake about that, and anything that would tell you that it comes from anything else is a spirit that doesn't belong in your heart. The last one, that spirit of greed. Spirit of greed is another part of that that says, I worked so hard for this, I'm going to hang on to it. And not only am I going to hang on to it tight, but I need more of it. Keep it coming. That's a spirit of greed. Now, 
The spirit of mammon says things like, you worked hard for this, go get yours. Go get yours. And then once you get yours, get more of it. And then once you have more of it and you have all you can possibly handle, hang on to it tight because you worked hard for it. That's what the spirit of mammon says. Meanwhile, in contrast to the spirit of mammon, God says, I gave it to you. I gave it to you as a gift so that you could bless my people with it. God gives to us. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Now, part of it, yes, you get to enjoy it while you're being a steward of it. While you're having this great income, you get to take vacations and you get to do things. I am not here to tell you taking a vacation, driving in a nice car, dressing nice, these things are bad. They're not bad. Father God wants to bless you, but he blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. And so what we ought to be thinking about is how can I use this provision that God has given me, this abundance of blessing that God has given me to then go out and bless other people. That's where our heart really should be because that's where God's heart is. In fact, Solomon warns us. I think I have the scripture up, Ecclesiastes 5.10. Yep, there it is. Solomon, the most worldly wise person generally agreed upon, who lived, says this, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Solomon is essentially saying, you're never going to have enough. Once that spirit of mammon takes hold of you, there's never going to be a point where you say, I have enough. How many of you know, think about, think about the most worldly wealthy person that you know. Generally, that's going to be also the most driven person that we know. He's laser focused on his job. He is so driven. Okay, what that means is that he started to put that, put the source of provision on themselves. It's that spirit of pride. I'm driven for more. And there's never a point when somebody comes and says, you know, I say never because there's always that one who said this. I've worked hard enough. I've got enough. Now I'm going to step back and I'm going to do ministry or I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to give it to people. That's what we ought to be thinking, but usually it's that person is just driven for more because that spirit has taken hold. And just like Solomon says here, you'll get to that point where you're just not ever going to be satisfied. You're going to need more. All right, so next scripture, we're going to move on. Matthew 6, 22, 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So when I was reading this, the, the scripture here, and one of the reasons why I wanted to work it backwards is you read this section, and in between those other two sections, it kind of doesn't look like it belongs there. He's talking about where your treasure is. He's talking about loving one loving money over something else, and you can't serve two masters. And then he goes into this, the eye is the lamp of the body. Why is he doing that? And why is this scripture right in the middle? And to answer that, I want to ask a question. What does a lamp do? What's the function of a lamp? Function of a lamp is to shed light, to illuminate something that maybe you couldn't see clearly before. We don't walk around in the middle of the day with a lamp because we don't need it. 
But when there's something we can't see, a lamp shines light on it. It illuminates it. Now, if we have that light, which is in us, we have that light that helps us illuminate things so that we can see things clearly, things that we're going through, opportunities that we have, we can see them clearly. Then how great is that light? How great is that light? But when that lamp starts to dim, or better yet, the lamp in you is just as bright, but the lens, which is the eye, starts to dim, meaning it's clouded with other things. It's either clouded with other things that come your way, that now my attentions are divided, I'm seeing things other than what God wants me to see. I use the illustration of headlights. How many people have the headlights on your car, the plastic ones, that are starting to fade and get all cloudy? I noticed this again driving Gabe's car the other day. I really feel bad about this. Driving her car the other day, it's night, and I'm like, are my headlights even on? I'm turning them on, and I'm like, they're on. That bulb is in there burning full bright, but the plastic is fogged over, and so it's not illuminating what's out ahead. And I thought, what a great illustration for our eyes. The light in you is there. The light in you is burning bright. The Holy Spirit is trying to help illuminate those things that we ought to see, but our eyes are clouded by the things that are distracting us, things that are not of God that are distracting us and taking away from our attention. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say you need to have clear eyes and a clear heart free of distraction so that you can see what's going on in front of you, so that you can hear clearly from the Holy Spirit and then engage in the way that your Father would have you engage. Because that ultimately is what we are to do. We are to take the blessings we've been given and engage with God's purposes. And we can't do that if our vision is clouded. That's why I think this scripture is here. A heart pursuing the right things for the right reasons brings light to the darkness. Now, an illustration of that, good friend of mine, Rodney Gephardt, he's a missionary in, um, in Dominican Republic, Dominican Republic in Haiti. I've been there a couple times. Last time I was there, he took us as a missionary group. He took a bunch of guys, and we went up to this hillside. This hillside, <coughs> excuse me, overlooking the ocean, beautiful Caribbean, overlooking, there's palm trees, there's a breeze, there's waves lapping at the, at the beach, and we're standing on this big chunk of rocky ground next to a, what at one point was a fairly nice house, now it's, it's been abandoned for years, it's run down, it had a pool at one point, but it's all empty and full of weeds and stuff, and he's standing with us on top of this hill, and he's saying, my prayer, and you guys could help me pray for this. And help me figure out how God's going to do this is my prayer is that we would be able to buy this piece of property. This piece of beautiful, again, overlooking the ocean. It was an amazing piece of property. I want to buy this piece of property. And my mind immediately says, dude, I'd want to buy this property too. This would be awesome. I could picture, man, we clean out that pool, we, we refurbish the house, we pick that up, and the beach is right down there, and I could just picture having this as a summer house or maybe just move down here and do ministry in, in Dominican. And I'm thinking, my, this is where my mind is. And Rodney, who runs a YWAM base there in Oswa, uh, Dominican Republic, says, I could serve so many students here. I can put the barracks over here, dorms, 
over here. I could put the ministry houses over here. We could change this house. We could re-outfit that as classrooms, and I can build more classrooms on this. And what a blessing it would be for those kids to be able to study here at this YWAM base and then be able to look out at God's creation, at all of this beauty. And he's going, it's only, okay, only $400,000. And in my mind, I'm like, that's a lot of money. Especially Dominican Republic, $400,000 goes a long way. But he got that. Not only did he get that, but the owner of the property, the current owner of the property came to him and he said, you know, I want this to be in your hands. God came to me and said that I'm to work with you and make sure that you get this. This man's not a Christian. At least he's not a practicing Christian, the owner. And he said, but I'm supposed to give this to you. I I know that I know. And so he said, however much money you can raise by, it was actually January of last year, however much money you can raise by that point, that's what I'm going to give you this for. I'm going to deed it to you. And then I kind of still do want my money, so if you can raise more, I'll, I'll take it. But I want this to be in your hands, and so I'm going to make sure that it goes to you. These are the kind of blessings that come when your heart is in the right place, when you want things for the right reason. I know for a fact that if I would have said, hey, if you can't buy it, I want to buy it. Hey, guys, help me raise $400,000 to buy my summer house in the Dominican Republic. I probably wouldn't have gotten very far. And I doubt that the owner would have come and said, hey, whatever you can raise by January is fine. I want you to have it. This is the difference when your heart is where God wants it to be. And where his heart was is I'm going to use this to serve his children and his kingdom. And in fact, I said, are you going to refurbish the house and you're going to move into the house? And he goes, we'll probably take a room, but I want it to be classrooms. Okay. That's what a heart in the right place looks like. When your focus is in the right place, God will bless abundantly. So the next one, let's go on to the last scripture because this is where I really want to camp out. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Jesus speaking again, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So you had that problem even all the way back then. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think what Jesus in a nutshell is saying here is you can't take it with you. Okay, we've heard that saying before, right? You can't take it with you. And in fact, the Apostle Paul later on, he's writing a letter to Timothy, and he's kind of explaining this a little bit further in a way that I, I think really brings some light to it. This is 1 Timothy 6, 7 to 10. We have that too. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can't take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare that many foolish and harmful desires, a snare and many harmful and foolish desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, Jesus is not saying that money. or or Paul here and Jesus, they're not saying that money is evil. 
Money certainly can be the root of evil, but ultimately, again, you can't take it with you. Here's a little illustration of somebody trying to take it with them. That's what I picture my hearse would look like. Kayak, golf bags, stereo equipment, that would be a big screen up on there somewhere. You never see this because you can't take it with you. So if Jesus here is saying, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, and we know that we can't really take it with us, what is he saying we should store up? What really is treasures in heaven? We've heard that term before. It must be that what is considered a treasure in God's economy is entirely different than what we consider treasure. They're not the same thing. So I want to look at what is treasure in God's economy. What would God consider? Okay, we've all heard the phrase, treasures in heaven. But before I even talk about what treasures in heaven are, why would you want it? Why would you want treasures in heaven? Because I've heard of heaven. We've all probably, at least at some level, got a picture in our mind of what heaven looks like. And it sounds pretty heavenly, right? Sounds amazing. (laughs) Sounds amazing. Why would I want more than that? Why would I need more than that? Can I just show up and everything I've ever needed is there? Okay, that should be what heaven looks like. So what's treasures in heaven? Let me ask you a question that I think might help us wrap our minds around what treasures in heaven is. Think about Mother Teresa. You can think what you want about Mother Teresa. There's like, okay, she wasn't an angel. She wasn't all that. But I think we can all agree Mother Teresa spent an awful lot of time trying to, not trying to, but just naturally building up treasures in heaven. When it says store up for yourself treasures in heaven, whatever you think those are, chances are you would agree with me that Mother Teresa probably has a lot of treasures in heaven built up for her, okay? What's her heaven look like? Picture for a second what her heaven looks like. Now, transition to an evil man. Not going to name any names. I'm certainly not making eye contact, but (laughs) picture an evil man. This is a theoretical, hypothetical evil man who receives Christ on his deathbed. This man has lived his life for the flesh. He has certainly not stored up much in the way of treasures in heaven. Gives his life to Christ on his deathbed. What's his heaven look like compared to Mother Teresa's? Mother Teresa spent her life storing up treasures in heaven. This man didn't. So what's the difference between the two heavens? So are you a little less sure about maybe what treasures in heaven is and why you should want it? Scripture talks about in several places what treasures in heaven is. It says things like in Matthew 10 that you'll receive a prophet's reward. We can debate on what a prophet's reward is. 2 Timothy, a crown of righteousness you'll receive when you get there. Colossians talks about you'll receive an inheritance. And in Romans, it talks about the glory to be revealed to you will be your treasure. Jesus gives us a little bit more of a clear picture of what he considers treasure in heaven to be 
in a section of scripture in Luke. Now remember Luke, if you remember when I taught about this, Luke was trying very hard to document as closely as he could the things that were said. You know, he was kind of the kind of the, uh, the scribe where he's really trying to accurately portray. And in Luke, it says this. It documents Jesus as saying this. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Now, he's not saying literally sell all of your possessions and make a money belt. Okay? He's not saying that. This is figuratively, and he's saying, live your life open-handed. We don't own, or we should not have the mindset that we own anything. We're merely stewards of everything that we have. God gave it to us to be stewards of it until such time that it made sense to give it away. And by make sense, I mean at his leading. That's what he's talking about. Because he gave us that example. Father God had one most cherished, prized, valued possession. That was his son, Jesus. And he gave his son for us. He gave his son for the undeserving, the unwilling, the unrepentant, in many cases, the unbelieving. But he still gave his son his most cherished treasure. He gave it for you. And that's an example of how our heart should be and where we should be with the treasures that we have here on earth. They're merely instruments to do God's work. That's where our heart should be as we look forward into heaven and storing up that treasure there. So if you're still not clear about what treasures in heaven are, let me ask you this. If there was a fire coming towards your house and you had to evacuate, what would you take? What would you take? I had this question years ago. I lived up in the mountains up near Bailey and a fire was coming down the canyon towards my house. They came and they said, hey, grab, grab what you need and go. Evacuate. And did I grab my television? No. Did I go through and I grabbed my recliner? No. I didn't grab those kinds of possessions. What I grabbed were pictures. I went through, and it was before every, every picture that I own now is on my phone. Okay, I just got my phone. I'm gone. They were pictures on the wall. So I was taking picture frames off the wall and stacking them up and putting them in the seat of my car. And of course, you grab your insurance paperwork and that. But things that really matter are those memories. Those memories, those moments that God blesses us with through our lives that have nothing to do with money, that have nothing to do with possessions or earthly treasure, but have everything to do with experiences that we get to have that God blesses us with. He blesses us with family. He blesses us with friends. He blesses us with introductions and experiences and things that can only come from him. Those are the kind of earthly treasures that I would want. And in 1 Corinthians 3, I don't have it on the screen, but I'll read it to you. Paul is talking about our works here on earth and what we can take with us. And he says, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So again, this isn't, this isn't a salvation issue. Will you end up in heaven? Won't you? It's more of your 
personal highlight film. When you're in heaven and you're looking back at your life on earth, what are you going to think of? Are you going to picture, I remember when I was a kid, I had that super nice car. I remember when I was finally able to buy that brand new pickup that I wanted. Is that what you're going to think of? Or are you going to be thinking of the people that you met and the things that you did to bless others here in your time on earth? That's what I'm going to be thinking of. Is your treasure in heaven simply going to be the smile on Jesus' face as the two of you walk through the garden and talk about what your life was like? Remember when? Remember when you fed that person? That person was a child of mine, and you fed them, and you went out of your way. Well done. You remember when you sold that thing that was really important to you and you took the money and you gave it to a neighbor who you know needed it? Well done. That's what treasure looks like to me. Those things that we'll remember when we're in heaven. Because remember, you're not taking your stuff. So therefore, your treasure in heaven is those things that are important to Father God. In his economy, those things that are important to him is what your treasure should be. And what's important to him is his people and his creation. You are what's important to him, and you are his treasure. So those things that you do to serve one another, one another in this room, one another downtown, one another, his children, wherever you find them, those things that you do to serve and bless them is what your treasure in heaven is going to be. That's your treasure. And when Jesus says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven, he means live your life in such a way that every single day you're adding something to your highlight film. You're adding something to your pile of treasure memories that are going to be in heaven. Here's some practical things that you can do. Just a list of some things. So if you're like, I don't know exactly how that looks, listen to just a practical. Visit the sick. Help feed the hungry. How about just being cheerful and thoughtful to somebody who's sad? Being a shoulder for someone. How about praying for one another? Working or serving in a homeless shelter? How about just being a friend to somebody who needs one? Forgive someone who has hurt you. Say you're sorry when you hurt someone. Build generosity into your budget. Many people don't give because they say, I can't afford to give. You can afford to give if it's a priority to you. If it's something you find important, you'll find a way. Budget in enough to be able to give. Give time and money to local charities. How about this? Have a garage sale and sell the stuff, which you probably wouldn't miss, and give it to whoever the Lord leads you to give it to. Maybe it's the church, but maybe it's the person down the street or the person on the street corner who could be blessed by that. And the Lord can lead you in that. But I promise you, most of us could have a massive garage sale and never miss anything that we sold, right? I know I could. I could do it several times over. Adoption. Adopt an orphan. Adopt, adopt a pet, maybe. These are the things that matter to God, his creation. 
our ministry fair will have several practical ways to help you engage in that. So come next weekend, immediately after service, and we will have dozens of ways for you to immediately engage and start building up more treasures in heaven. So the worship team can go ahead and start coming up. I just want to highlight the last couple things here. Again, those are all practical suggestions. Here in a nutshell, okay, are five things, six if you want to be technical about it, that I just want you to take away. Number one, this is how you lay up treasures in heaven. You do God's will. Do God's will. Simply, he'll lead you to the situations that will do that. And then when you get there, obey his voice. You can hear God's will. Do what he asks you to do because he wants to bless you. How about this? Give instead of take. Let the natural inclination of your heart be, how can I give into this situation? Not what's in it for me and what can I take away from it? Give instead of take. Sacrifice your life for others. Give of your time. Give of your resources. Give of yourself purely in sacrifice for someone else. Not expecting praise, not expecting compensation, but just strictly because you know it makes your Father in Heaven smile. And then the last thing, and I think the most important thing, share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone you meet. Because there's no greater gift that's ever been given to mankind and no greater gift than you could have when you get there than to have relationship with Jesus Christ. And it starts with us sharing the knowledge of who he is with people. Simply share that gift and you will store up treasures in heaven. How would you feel if you're walking through heaven side by side with Jesus and you're saying, I remember telling that man about you. I remember telling that woman about you. And here they are. Could anything bring more of a smile to his face? So, I want to pray just a moment that God would show us those opportunities and that we, would, that we would be faithful to seeing those and that we would pursue his heart. So would you join me in that prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for giving us opportunities every single day to lay up treasures in heaven. You tell us how important that is to you and then you lead us into situations where we can do that. So, Father, I just pray that we would all be more in tune with that idea of making you smile every day, storing up those treasures in heaven rather than the pursuit of earthly things. And, Father, if you bless us with earthly things, let it be in our heart that we are merely stewards and let us look for an opportunity to bless someone else with what you have given us. Let us not fall into the trap of the spirit of mammon where we just need more so that we can have more. If we desire more, more of you, or more of anything, let it be so that we can bless more people. Father, that's where we want our heart to be, so help us stay focused on where you want us because we want to be in your will. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to walk into a time of communion right now. Now, 
We have, if you haven't been here in a while, we've restructured our worship just a little bit to where we do, if you notice, just a couple songs up front. And we, we've lengthened the worship time on the back end purposely to give you a chance to really respond to what God is speaking to you through the message. And so for the whole first song, I just want you to stay where you are and just take a moment and just pray. We have prayer team in the back. If you would like somebody to pray with you, you can go back there. They will pray with you for anything. But if you'd like, just stay seated and let the Lord speak to you about how he wants you to respond to a message like this. And then at the end of the first song, we'll move into communion. So we have, we have bread and juice at the crosses, and we've got bread and wine up here. We would love to serve you up front. And you'll see us. We'll get up there and start that at the, at the beginning of the second song. That's when you can move into that. And if you want to stay in your seats and just pray some more, you can do that. If you want to worship with us two or three more songs, you are welcome to do that. But let's just be intentional about seeking the Lord's response to what he would have us do today. Amen.
you to uh, start moving to the crosses and respond how God would have you respond this morning. Take communion. We've got uh, wine and bread and gluten-free crackers and Bob and Gabe over here. And juice and crackers at the crosses. Go ahead and start moving if you would.
you guys stand with us, please? Precious blood of Jesus Christ. 